nail, spear shall pierce him through. They comfort one another. What man is this, when laid to rest, says, Son, behold your mother. See you all. Feeling great online. I know you guys are looking good. Greece campus, great to see you. I know you guys are looking good. Uh, you guys made it in the room. Trilight campus, what's going on? Good to see you. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's fine. I'm not sure how we're doing at this point, but hey, we're going to make it through this together. Um, this is going to be great. We're launching a new series today. We are in our Christmas series. Uh, this is going to get weird before it gets good. I can promise you that. Um, but it's going to be good. So uh, first thing we're going to talk about is the just the fact that none of our current traditions uh, that we do for Christmas have any basis uh, in the early church. Just want you to know that. Uh, might offend you. It's okay. I can promise you Paul the Apostle is not putting tinsel on anything. Uh, that was not one of his go-to things. I don't think Paul had an advent calendar. Um, I think he was opening the little boxes every morning and eating the chocolate to count down the days uh, till Christmas. I just don't think Paul was doing that. Uh, the one that really baffles me is the Christmas tree. Um, it's just dumb. Like, if we were just, can we just be frank about Christmas trees? I mean, those things are in their natural habitat. Like, they are where they want to be. Uh, they did not know they were being raised to die like this. And uh, we go out there. I just saw, I don't know if Mike Olson is here. I saw a picture. If you don't know Mike Olson, he's like nine feet tall. And I just see him, like, he's has to, like, unfold himself onto the ground to saw a tree down. And it's just like, and then they drag, you have to drag it on a car. I've, we've done it, I think my family's done it twice. And I said, I will not do this again. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, this is not, this is ridiculous. They're messy. Um, then you have to water them, which is also just dumb. Like, they have fake ones now, so, um, but it's something we do uh, Christmas. It's the Christmas tree. I just think it's ridiculous, um, but you don't find them anywhere close to the Bible because God knew, um, but anyway, uh, overall, if you actually look through the history of Christmas, we are all over the map when it comes to Christmas. I mean, it is just, it is mind-blowing. I think gifts are awesome. Love it. I'm a huge, my love language is receiving gifts. I love receiving gifts. It is like, Man, it's fantastic. Um, but at its core, what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is that the core of this thing we call Christmas is actually a reflection and celebration on the incarnation of the Messiah. Now, this is super important for you and I to understand, is that after all of it, you can have the Christmas ham. If you're into cooked ham, you do that. You can have the gifts. You can have the tree. You can have the wreaths. Put garland everywhere. I don't care. Buy Christmas for all your neighbors. It's awesome. Uh, be generous. It's great. But at the end of the day, Christmas is a reflection on the incarnation of the Messiah. Now, the incarnation might be a word you have never heard before. Incarnation, it literally means that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. This is the, the most pivotal thing that has happened in the history of our planet, is the incarnation of Jesus. The fact that God became flesh and dwelt 
among us. In fact, one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, and it means God with us. While at times that will help you get through a dark season, it was a reality. Like God became man, and he dwelt among us. The deity of Jesus is insanely important as we move forward in this Christmas season. Okay, so uh, there's implications to this because uh, God says he came to save sinners. He came as what we call the Messiah, which means the one who saves. So in order for the incarnation to support the biblical narrative of the prophets in the Old Testament, God had to become a man. He had to live a life perfectly. He had to die and raise from the dead. That is what makes the incarnation a thing, is that he had to live, he had to die, and he had to raise from the dead. Without the full story, all we have is a really nice fairy tale. Like if all we do is we stop at the birth of Jesus and we don't have the rest of the story, we have a really nice fairy tale. This idea that this this guy was born of a virgin and like the, the, the wise men came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh and the donkeys were there. And it's just such a beautiful nativity scene. If we don't get the whole story, it's meaningless. In fact, if Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, it's just another messianic story that there was many at the time. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all he is is a mere footnote in history. We wouldn't be here today having this conversation if it wasn't for the entire story. But what's crazy is that this fringe revolutionary in some obscure corner of the Roman Empire, he literally turned the world upside down. And I'm telling you today, if this Christmas, if you stop at Luke chapter 2 with the donkeys and the frankincense, you are doing a disservice to the incarnation of the Messiah. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about how, uh, how absolutely incredible the, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was and the fact that hope can actually be found in this story, the entire thing from start to finish. So a couple things I want to just get off the, get out of the way before we get further into this is this word incarnation, it might be a word you've never heard before. We're going to be talking about it over the next few weeks. There's two things I want you to know. Uh, one, the incarnation means that Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is incredibly important. God literally became flesh. He didn't just, he didn't leave his godliness up in heaven. He added a human nature to his divinity. That's super important. Now, there is some aspects where he actually yielded some of his deity because part of being God means you're omnipresent. You're everywhere all at once. When Jesus was in his flesh, obviously he was not. Uh, so he yielded some of it, but he was fully God. They say, scholars will describe it as saying that uh, when Jesus became a man, humanity saw God flesh and bone face to face. The story of Jesus is not a type. This is not a shadow. This is not poetry. This is not just some nice thing that these guys wrote to make someone look good. No, th this was God in the flesh. The second thing with the incarnation is that as fully man, he had to be born. And Jesus was born of, he was birthed out of a virgin birth. This is crazy. What this means is that the birth of Jesus was a supernatural event. It was a, he was, he was a virgin birth. And we met God through this virgin birth. So he was fully God, fully man, and he was born of a virgin. And now, what we're going to talk about today is a story that is going to be a place where we start Christmas a little bit different. Okay, I'm going to start by talking about a silent night 
that Jesus experienced and all of humanity experienced. And it was a little bit different. It was a little bit uncomfortable. But it was a silent night. Now, before we do that, I, fig I figured to set the stage and get us all in the Christmas spirit, we have to sing Silent Night together because it's going gonna, it's gonna to fit my song. So uh, Esther is, is here, and she is ready, and she's amazing. So she's going to come out with both campuses together, and she's just going to sing Silent Night for us. You know, what's interesting about the life of Jesus is that he actually had to become well acquainted with silent and really hopeless nights. Um, if you think about the birth of Jesus, which is the Christmas that we celebrate, it's 
He was born at a time where King Herod was literally around the nights Jesus was born was murdering every single child born before a certain date because he heard that the king was going to be born. That's a silent night filled with hopelessness. There was the night before Jesus got uh, crucified that he's alone in a garden, he's praying uh, to the point where he's so stressed out that he's bleeding and he, he comes back to a group of disciples that he thought were going to be praying and he comes back to absolute silence. Hopeless silence. It's at that point Jesus literally looks at them and he's like, can't you guys just stay for one hour with me? You can almost see this God man kind of just shrugging his shoulders and being like, I'm going to do this alone. Hopeless. And then there was another strange day because the very next day is Jesus is arrested at this point and during that time this is a normal scenario. People get arrested, they're arrested to be executed and it's a spectacle of all spectacles. They bring these people uh, to Pilate and Pilate would sentence them to die and they'd go to Golgotha. The unique part about this is if you're just a normal Roman citizen you don't necessarily know who this Jesus guy is. He's a, he's a fringe revolutionary who's causing an uprising over near Jerusalem and Nazareth, but he hasn't really gained like nationwide and worldwide notoriety at this point. And so you're watching this and it's a strange sight to behold because there are all these Jewish peoples just screaming at Pilate to crucify this guy. And you're looking at these, at this man who, and you're like, he actually is a Jewish person too. Like what in the world is going on? And then it gets even more strange because they're, they're, they're like beating him up and it's, the whole scenario is insane, but it, part of it is like, you don't want to look away because this is Rome. Like Rome always goes over the top. And so, and then they, they bring Jesus till to, to this hill called Golgotha where all the executions happen. And normally everything's set up for whatever reason. They, they make this guy who's been beaten to a point of almost unrecognizable state. They have him carry his own execution tool to this hill. And it's, it's insane. The whole scenario is crazy. And then they get this man onto the cross and he's there. Now, what's wild if you're an onlooker is you notice that this guy who you barely know, he's, he starts talking. Like this is not a moment to be talking. He looks at the, one of the thieves next to him that's also getting executed. And you can hear him say like, I'm going to remember you in paradise. And as an onlooker, you're like, what is even happening. And then he literally starts forgiving the people around him. He's like, God, he's talking to some God somewhere. He's like, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like this whole scene would have been crazy. And then at the foot of the cross at this point is there's three women, which again is not normal in this time period, but there's three women and Jesus looks down on them. And, and I'm going to read it to you because it's in, uh, it's in, there's, well, there's two, three women, and then there's a, uh, another guy a few yards away, and Jesus kind of calls him over, and this is what it says. I'm actually going to look on the screen with you, so sorry, cameras, okay? This is what it says. It says, uh, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who was John, he says, woman, woman, behold your son. He's talking to Mary, his mother. He calls his mother woman. It's something Jesus did. Uh, and then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Now what's so amazing is that right after this moment, which is to me, this moment 
is a key moment in all of Scripture. And I'll explain why in a couple minutes. But right after this moment, it says that Jesus, uh, he got thirsty. And so he asks for water. They give him some, some vinegary substance. And then at that moment, it says that Jesus, he hung his head and he died. And then things got silent. In fact, some scholars will write, and it says it in Mark, that the sun disappeared from the sky for like three hours. It was silent. And it was oddly night in the middle of the day. And what I think what's so interesting about this is that I don't think it was just silence for silence sake. I think similar to the other silent moments that Jesus felt, the world experienced hopelessness. I think in those three hours of silence, the world experienced devastating hopelessness. Hope without Jesus. What the world would look like, hope without the saving grace of Jesus. I feel like all of that was in that darkness. I feel for a moment God was saying, here is what hopelessness looks like. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, and maybe you're in one now, where it just feels like a silent night. Where you look around and you just think to yourself, man, I don't understand where hope comes from. I don't understand how I'm even going to be able to grasp hope over the next few weeks. I mean, forget Christmas. I'm just trying to make it. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get kids gifts. I don't know how my, how my family's going to make it. I don't know how any of this is going to add up. All I know is that hope has to be found somewhere. Like, what does this hope, what am I supposed to do with this hopelessness? And I actually don't think that this is uh, new to humanity. Because I just read about this Mary and John. Now, John has been walking with Jesus. They called him the beloved disciple. He was Jesus' best friend. If you actually read about John, I know John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, okay? This John is also said to be one of Jesus' cousins. He's known Jesus his whole life. In the last three years, he's been best friends with this guy. I mean closer than a brother. He has hung on every single word. And he's so close yet so far from this thing. He's watching the guy who he thinks is going to take over government literally die on the cross. He's like, I can't get that close. And then you've got Jesus' mother. Now, Jesus' mother, it's very interesting. We don't talk enough about this woman. Because let me tell you something. Um, Her story is packed full of deep, deep theology. And I think one of the things that I love about Mary most is Mary shows us that there's hope in remembrance. Because the last thing Jesus says basically before he dies is he creates a new family in this moment. He says, mother, behold your son. Now what behold means in its original language is an unexpected but sure thing. An unexpected but sure thing. You see, Jesus knows just as well as probably Mary and John that there's hopelessness in this moment. And Jesus is looking at Mary and he says, I'm going to give you an unexpected but sure thing. Here's your new son. And he looks at John, who's a few yards away. He calls him over. He's like, John, behold, I'm going to give you an unexpected but sure thing. Here's your mother. And it says that John took her home. Now, could you imagine the conversations that John and Mary must have had? Now, I don't know if you've ever received such a good gift on Christmas that, like, it just, you'll never forget it. Like, you receive the gift, and you're like, I will literally never forget this moment right here. 
Now I get my, my I get my son Lego, and it's like every Lego set he gets, it's like I will never forget this moment right here. Like it's like it's easy as it's easy money with him. Okay, for me I was a little more difficult. I put my parents through it, so uh, I really wanted an Xbox. It's like all I wanted. For I was like in eighth grade, and it was like that's when the Xbox came out, and I was like I'm my life is gonna change with this gift. And they made me, I think I've told you this before, they made me have a debate with my brother because the GameCube came out, which was such a waste of space. And so I had to debate my brother. And like, he's a lawyer now, so obviously he crushed me in the debate because I'm not. And so I lost. And so like, that's it. If you won, you would have gotten it. It was super weird that they did this. And so uh, all the whole time, apparently they had it, okay? And so I remember waking up. It was eighth grade. I thought I could play basketball then. So I had a game that morning. And so it was a little bit before they gave it to me early. I pulled my jersey out, and I was going to walk out and go to my game and just make a fool of myself. I opened the door, and there's my Xbox, like right there, like the box. And I like, it was one of those like out-of-body experiences, you know? Like I literally caught myself on my dresser. Like, oh, I was like so overwhelmed with the fact that they did this. I pick up the Xbox. I'm like, you, this is, can't be real. And like I ran in my parents' bedroom. It was, I will never forget what that felt like. Now, could you imagine being Mary? And 33 years prior to this moment, an angel comes busting through your wall like the Kool-Aid man and is like, here's, let me just read you, let me just read you what happened to Mary, okay? Because every commentary I read when I was thinking, when I was trying to figure out this message, nobody talks about this. Everybody just read this story of John and Mary and it's like, oh, it's so great that John's going to take Mary home and care for her. Yeah, that's true, but like, This is what happened to Mary 33 years ago. She's a teenager. She's engaged to be married. She hasn't slept with Joseph yet. So all this is about to get very real for her very quick. This is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is her sister. She's pregnant. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, meaning freaked out at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, David, of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, what you're going to hear next week from Pastor Kerry is that there's certain moments in the life of Mary and the life of Jesus where it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Now, church, there is no way that Mary is standing at the cross where Jesus has died. And she's not thinking about what that angel said 33 years ago. There's no way that in that moment, Mary isn't thinking back on the fact that that guy literally said, you are going to be the son of the Most High. I'm going to give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This is why I think Mary had some friends with her at the cross, because she's like, you just got to come with me. I know God has a plan with this thing. And the only person at the crucifixion of Jesus that day who maybe had any semblance of hope was Mary. The only person who could have recalled what God has truly said straight to her face was Mary. 
I think Mary teaches us that there's hope in remembrance. Now, I don't know what hopelessness you walked in here with today. I don't know what hopelessness you're facing over the next few weeks, few months, and maybe longer. But what I do know is that there is a narrative to your life. What I do know is that God has been threading his needle of hope through your life since the beginning of time. And it might be unexpected, but I can tell you it is sure that hope can actually be found no matter your situation. All you have to do is remember what God has done for you. Just think back on your life. Think back on your timeline. Think back on your religion. What has God already saved you from? What are the words that God has spoken to you in years past? Maybe this season, you need to grab a hold of those things. It might be unexpected, but I can tell you, it is sure. Hope can actually be found this Christmas. Now, what's crazy is that Mary's not the only one there. As I said, John's there, and I've just completely lost myself in my notes, but it is what it is. We're fine. John's at the cross. Now, John, is, he's an interesting dude because he's Jesus' best friend. Now, every other disciple is gone. Every other disciple is left at this point. John's there, but he's distant. It's like he's in the same area, but it says he's nearby. Mary's at the foot of the cross. John's nearby. He's like, he wants to be close. He's a little confused. He wants proximity, but he gets too close. He knows it's probably going to kill him. I've never been in a situation like that where you know you're curious, but you know if you and your wife actually get too close to that problem, it might end everything. You're curious, but if you, get, if you get too close, this is going to throw everything out the window. So you kind of just stay distant. You self-deceive yourself into thinking that being distant is actually the thing that's going to bring you freedom, but it's actually still keeping you in the prison that you've been locked up in. And, and, and so Jesus cuts right through the self-deception that we so easily find ourselves in, and he just calls John over. He's like, John, you need to find some borrowed hope this Christmas. You need, you need some borrowed hope in this moment. So, so he looks at Mary, and he's like, Mary, Mom, I know you're the only one right now. I'm counting on you because this is it for me. I'm counting on you to make this thing go. So behold your new son. John, you need to borrow some hope right now because your world is going to turn upside down. You think it's hard now, John? Just wait because it's not going to go very well, but I promise you hope can be found. And you need to borrow some from a mom here. So John, this is unexpected, but I can tell you you can anchor yourself to it. Here's your new mom. Take her home and please go have some conversations. John borrowed hope. Sometimes you are in situations where you need to borrow hope. You just need to borrow hope. And listen, you're going to want to try to isolate yourself. You're going to want to try to find some lonely place where you can just kind of, so I just got to figure this out. I just gotta, we're just going to muscle through, and then we're going to get back in it. I'm just going to muscle through, and then I'm going to go. But sometimes it's actually impossible. They say that God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't like that phrase. I actually think that sometimes life is more than you can handle, which is why you need to borrow hope. Church, I'm telling you today that there is, yeah, there is honesty in vulnerability. And now the thing that John had going for him is he had just had this massively traumatic experience. And for whatever reason, trauma can accelerate vulnerability. But sometimes we do not have trauma. We just have to make the decision that today I'm going to choose to be vulnerable. Just looking your wife in the eye and saying, listen, babe, there are some things that I, we just need to talk about, okay? And it's going to be vulnerable. It's going to be real. But Merry Christmas because we're going to find some hope in the midst of it, okay? And so, like, there is vulnerability. When vulnerability happens, it's the only way 
to get you out of your pain. Sometimes the only way for you to find hope is to just choose vulnerability. This is why I wish we had the conversation that Mary and John had when they got back to John's house. Because I'm sure John walked in. He probably just sat down. He's like, where do we go from here? Like, what do we even do now? Like, I'm lost. I'm confused. I saw this going a lot differently. I was waiting. I was waiting for him to just, like, take himself off the cross and be like, I'm here. Let's do this thing. But it didn't, ha- it didn't happen. Mary, you got to help me here. Like, what? And that's when I think Mary's like, John, let me tell you. The angel showed up at my door 33 years ago. It was odd. Joseph and I weren't even married yet. And, like, I woke up, like, the next morning, like, next few weeks, you could tell, like, I was pregnant. I promise you, I did not sleep with Joseph. Like, I, I don't even know where he is right now. Like, I did not sleep with that man. But the angel told me that day that you are going to conceive a baby, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to save the world. I think in that moment, John experienced borrowed hope. Church, you got to look at the people you're surrounding yourself with. Are the people you're surrounding yourself with, are they just perpetuating your hopelessness? Or can you actually borrow hope from the people that you're with? Are the people you're surrounding yourself with, are they, are they just telling you to fake it till you make it? Or are they actually forcing you to get gritty with the fact that you need to figure out this issue? Are you surrounding yourself with people who you can borrow hope from? Because there actually can be hope found in community. It can happen. You can actually surround yourself with people who are going to build you up. They're going to give you life. They're going to encourage you. They're going to give life to your bones. It can actually happen. I think the other thing that we do when we face hopelessness is we just forget everything that we think we know about Jesus. When it comes to our hopeless situation, we just, we just close the book and we put it on the shelf. We'll get to that eventually. You know, we isolate ourselves. We stop praying and we just worry. And I actually think that borrowed hope can be found through spiritual practices. I think if you need to borrow hope, the best thing you can do is actually open Scripture and just start reading the penned letters of this book. And I promise you, hope can actually be found. You realize that all through the life of Jesus, he was going through mad, these crazy ministry experiences all the while people were trying to kill him. This man, every time pressure came, Jesus got alone. I, I just need to get alone. When the going got tough, Jesus at the worst moments, to be honest with you, would be like, we need to get alone. I need to go, I need to go take some time and get refreshed with my father. Jesus knew that hope could be borrowed from time with, Jesus, with God. I believe Jesus stayed hopeful in the midst of hopelessness because of the time that he went and said, I just need to find some time with God. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's Jesus. And what's interesting is, yeah, that's true. But Jesus literally told his disciples, it's better that I go. It is better that I leave so the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the advocate can come and be with you. Paul actually penned later in one of his letters. He says, be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. But with prayer, offer your requests to God. He is faithful to deliver. Be anxious about nothing. Time with God cannot be neglected at any time. But more so, church, when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
The only way to not fear evil is to know that he is with you. The only way to know that he is with you is if you speak to him. It's the only way to know. So I believe that this Christmas, God wants us to behold hope. The unexpected but sure thing called hope. I actually believe that God wants us to be surprised by hope in this season. I believe that God wants us to look around at our situations and our seasons and be like, I cannot believe that I'm actually hopeful. I cannot believe that I can actually anchor myself to the hope that I've found in my heart. Maybe you're here today and you have completely lost hope. My prayer for you is that this Christmas it's more than just a nativity scene. I pray it's more than just a family gathering where you cook ham and you give away gifts. I, I hope that this Christmas you take some time to reflect on how God has brought you to where you are at. How God has sustained you through broken seasons. How God has actually has saved your marriage through worse things than it's going through right now. I hope that God will reveal to you how he's actually held your life in the palm of his hand. And that this Christmas, you hold on to that hope. The gritty, audacious hope. Some will say, I don't understand it. Some will say, it's confusing that you're this hopeful. But you'll say, yeah, it's an unexpected, but it's a sure thing. But God said, behold, you will find hope. So this Christmas, maybe it's not the holly jolly Christmas you were expecting. But no, don't neglect your pain this Christmas. Don't, don't ignore the conflict that needs to be had in this season. Don't just push it under the rug and wait for New Year's. Don't make your conflict a New Year's resolution. It's a dumb one. Like, don't ignore it this season. Rather, run into the mouth of the lion and learn about gritty hope. And may God look down at this church. See, that's a church that has anchored themselves to hope that doesn't make sense. Anchored themselves to an uncommon message about a fringe revolutionary who went and turned the world upside down. May this be the Christmas where we look back and we behold a hope that we didn't even realize was there. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of hope. More than that, that you are a God of salvation. You are a God of freedom. You are a God of reconciliation. God, we thank you that Jesus not only came, but he lived, he died, and then he rose from the dead. We thank you that the incarnation story is a miracle that we can anchor our lives to no matter the season. God, we thank you that you are for us and that you are not against us. And for each of us who feels like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that God, you would remind us that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. We thank you for the unexpected but sure surprise of hope in this season. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.